1: Hello, everyone. I am coming at you from Florida. So this is my first quarantine podcast recording. So I want to start by saying if there are any issues with the audio, please don't at me because we're making the best of the situation. I'm not even going to apologize because it is what it is. But I'm so excited because I'm taking this opportunity to interview people who I would have normally not have had access to in New York. As, like, regularly as I would normal New York residents. So, we're going by coastal. Welcome, wellness blogger Olivia Noceta. Did I say that right or did I fuck it up? Okay, that? Okay. Right. You even did it yeah. in accent. I love that. um, who is the voice behind Olive Eats. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I'm so excited. And I know I said this before we started. We're video chatting right now. But I need to like get you on a FaceTime with my cousin at some point because you are not only like you look alike and all of the tattoos and everything, but you guys act the exact same. And she is a crazy motherfucker in such an amazing way. And when I watch your stories, I'm like, this is Kelly. This is Kelly. And even my mom who follows you is like, oh, my God, this girl is Kelly. Have you seen this girl? Wait, where does Kelly live? She now me. no, she was. Now she's in Maine with her boyfriend. Um she's from North Carolina though. Oh my gosh. We well we need to
0: meet.
1: We'll and do like I, a group I, FaceTime.
0: I feel like honored to just even be um thought of as similarly It's like a part of your family because I <laughs> literally want to be a part of your family. I told you about before we got like we started recording that I I do feel a bit starstruck though I've met you before your TikTok fame <laughs> I am on with the TikTok famous person right now and I personally don't have the the, uh, drive to join TikTok because I literally don't think I could put content out. I don't know what I would do, but
1: yeah, I, I, I do feel a
0: bit starstruck right now. I'm with somebody <laughs> very famous in the TikTok world.
1: I love you. I was so paralyzed by TikTok. I downloaded it because I thought it was funny to watch and I just had no idea what to post. And do you know Jara Bean? Yeah, I do. So I'm friendly with her. She was a guest on the podcast and she's like killing it right now on TikTok. And I remember I DM'd her and I was like, dude, I'm just so intimidated by the app. Like I'm so impressed by everything you're doing. She's like, you just have to find your niche and run with it. And I jokingly took a video of my mom and evidently she is a celebrity and she is my niche and who the hell knows what's going to happen when I move out of living in her house because I'm going to lose my like number one piece of content, but we'll get there when it happens. When
0: it happens, I actually wanted to let you know that about uh, 45 seconds ago, when you told me your mom followed me on Instagram, I did just like shit my <laughs> pants a little bit. I was like,
1: oh my God, wait, what? <laughs> she knows who you <laughs> are.
0: She's a celebrity. Uh, She's a celebrity. I very, very, excited
1: about this. Oh, thank you. Well, she definitely knows who you are. She refers to you as Kelly's twin. Um, but I want to, I know I gave you like a little forewarning, but I dive into the episodes by asking, how would you define success?
0: I would say success is having fierce love for whatever you're doing. Uh, For me personally, uh, success is joy and success Mm -hmm. is feeling that joy in, in the form of just really intense love at the end of the day. And that's the type of person I am. But I think I spent a lot of time in my life kind of focused on this societal idea of what success is, which is go to school and get degrees and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. And when I was in graduate school, I was so unhappy. And I kind of realized that this idea of success that is given to us in school by our parents, by our peers, isn't necessarily the same. It doesn't look the same for everybody. And so for me, I realized that at the end of the day, what makes me successful is that I am just in love with my life and in love with what I'm doing.
1: Wow. I love that you're in love with your life and what you're doing. I also, I know fierce is an interesting word and I haven't heard it used in this context, but I do take away. I know we've only met once for like 15 seconds outside of Hugh Kitchen when you were with Sammy. It was really cold. You were visiting with Sammy and you had met up with Rachel and I ran into you guys on the street and it was such a blessing. It was. You do give me fierce vibes off of Instagram in an incredible way. I feel like you know you're unique in your own way and you own your shit and you're like, what's up, people? This is who I am. And if you don't love it, I don't fucking care. But I am who I am in an awesome way. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think that comes from many years of I was bullied when I was a
0: kid. I was actually talking to an old friend yesterday. We were FaceTiming. We were talking about middle school and I was like, yeah. Do you remember that I ate alone and I was bullied by all these kids? And I think I just kind of got to this point in eighth grade where I was like, I cannot change myself Mm -hmm. and working for other people's affection and approval is going to take so much time. that I actually personally do not have. Um, And I really appreciate that from you because I try to give off, you know, as, I'm a very unique person and I've had to come to terms with that after a while. But I think part of that is like the fierce, like I am, I would say like not the Beyonce fierce, like I guess I'm the Beyonce Mm -hmm. fierce. No, you are that too. Thank you, but I think the it's more so that I'm I'm quite intense, but I'm intense in everything I do. I'm intense
1: in the way that I like, you know, project my humor. I say the f word. Can I cuss on here? Oh my god!
0: Yeah, please.
1: Okay. Also, the fact that you just said cuss is a very Kelly thing, but I say fuck every five words, so okay, you can throw god. around whatever you want.
0: Thank God. Okay, yeah. So I mean, I am always throwing out an f bomb, and so I'm fierce mm-hmm. in that way. But I also I'm like fiercely kind, and I'm fiercely loving, and. I I do think part of what allows me to do what I do successfully is because I just don't give a fuck. Yeah. I really don't. I don't have time. I mean, none of us do. And I think when you stop when you when you stop caring and you realize that you are who you are and you you either got to take it or leave it, life becomes a hell of a lot easier.
1: I totally agree and I'm currently working on a few things that i feel trigger me or i feel very sensitive over and you know when people send me messages about that topic or like critique me on it it does hit me and i'm trying to work on the like you know what i'm okay with it and there's Mm -hmm. nothing i can do about it and if you don't like it then you don't have to follow me or be a part of this journey and that's fine so i respect the shit out of that um I do need to bring up the fact that, yes, you are a wellness blogger, but you are also a speech pathologist. Correct. And I feel like I told you this, but I have so much respect for you and appreciation for you because I was in speech class from... Sure? Yeah, for five, six years, five years. Um, I had an awful speech impediment that still comes out if I'm like drunk or talking too fast. I couldn't say my R's. Oh, and, yeah, that's very common. Yeah. So it was... Very comical childhood videos of me are like, is she drunk? What's happening? I bet. I bet. Um, and I actually met my husband. We were in speech class together in elementary school. We don't have like memories of being together, but we were in the same class. So
0: Father, bitch, I'm it has a
1: special place in our heart. And of course, our last name is Roger. So our kids are like so fucked. Rogers, Rogers. <laughs> that's what he used to say. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about how you started all of EATS and how you maintain that kind of dual life of being a speech pathologist and running this account?
0: For sure. So I think the first thing to note is that it's hard as fuck and I don't do it gracefully. Uh, at mm-hmm. least I try. I try to, but I don't, I don't think I do. Um, so I started all of Eats. Uh, well, I started all of Eats back in 2016 after graduating undergrad. And I was going through this breakup. My college sweetheart and I had broken up. Sweetheart, I don't know, but my <laughs> boyfriend and I had been to call him a sweetheart. Uh, but we had broken up and I was just depressed and I started yoga teacher training and then kind of changed my eating habits. And in that, you know, it's actually funny is the first account I found was Rachel Mansfield, who is like now so one funny. of my dear friends. And it's really weird hanging out with her. Cause I still feel like kind of a fan girl. Um, <laughs> but she, I would like see all this stuff she was doing. I was like, this is actually kind of cool. And I've always been an artist. Like I was on stage my entire life. And then when I wasn't doing musicals, I was doing speech and debate and, I kind of always had a medium of art that I was exploring throughout my entire life. And then once I graduated college, you know, when you leave an educational space, you don't really have anything forcing you to, to do anything. And so I decided that a really cool way for me to explore art would be food styling. Mm-hmm. So that's what all of each originally started as. So it was just like making healthy foods and styling it in cool or, you know, aesthetically pleasing ways I did that for about nine months, and then I moved to Portland to go to graduate school to get my master's degree in speech pathology, realized that I wasn't really making many friends. I was just very stuck online, and at that point, influencing wasn't a thing, so it's not like Mm -hmm. it was a job for me. It was just very much a hobby, and going to graduate school and having an intense hobby where you have to spend money to buy food and then also have (laughs) the right lighting times to take those pictures, it just wasn't feasible to do both. Yep. Yeah. So you get it. Um, so I quit. I left social media for f- about 15 months and I was a full student, uh, finished my master's degree in speech, and then I got a job here in LA working with younger children. So I work in something that they call early intervention. I work with children zero to three years old that suffer from developmental delays, um, anything really any type of disorder, um, like delayed talking, developmental delays, neurological Mm -hmm. problems. Um, I'm seeing those kids and their babies. Uh, so I came out here for that job and I actually didn't end up getting my California speech license for about three months. So in that time I was like, what the hell am I going to do? I am so bored. And my ex-boyfriend at the time was like, you should go back on your Instagram. You're so different now and you have so much to offer." And I was just like, I don't want to do food anymore. It's not who I am. And in the time that I took off from social media, I got really into studying Buddhism. And I just learned a lot about myself. I started working out. I became very physically aware of my body. I just think I grew into the person that I kind of always knew I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But I really needed to get offline for that to happen. And. Then finally he had convinced me enough where I was just like, fuck it, I'll go on. So I went on Instagram, was like, hey guys, I'm back. And I was like, what am I even gonna say? Like, what is this? I didn't even, I think I had at that point, I was like 15,000 followers, like a year and a half ago now. And I was just like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. And then they were like, oh, you can get paid to post. And I'm like, what? This is craziness. And from there, I just started, posting what you see now, which is essentially my lifestyle. And it's slowly you start to like find your niche. Mm -hmm. Within that time, I became a speech pathologist working full time. So I was a full time speech pathologist with a full 40 hour caseload. As I was building my Instagram, um, from September of 2018 to like, July of 2019.
1: Okay, so pretty recent. Still. Very
0: recent, very recent. Um, I finished my so essentially, I have to do a fellowship year for speech. That that was when I was working full full time, doing both. I was a wreck all the time. I didn't see anybody. I was just constant like work, 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 work. Which I think is what your twenties mm-hmm. is about. But I started to realize over time that my energy was much better placed on my online platform than it was in speech pathology. And so when I finished my fellowship, I decided to become a part time speech pathologist. And I was able to do that um, feasibly, like financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I became a part-time speech pathologist, which is what I do now. So present day, I work 25 hours a day, eight days a week on my Instagram. I'm sure you, I know you understand mm-hmm. having a podcast on Instagram. Like yep. you don't have, there's, there's no off days. I can take the day off of Instagram and I still don't have an off day. Um, I'm Mm -hmm. always thinking about it. And then I see patients on Tuesdays and Thursdays for about most of the day, like six to eight hours a day. And I struggle, I struggle with having both jobs. Um, Mm -hmm. I struggle with making sure that I'm giving a hundred percent to my patients while also giving a hundred percent to Instagram because it, I mean, and this is just like algorithm this is, and this is a part of who I am. I like to give as much as I can to whatever I'm doing To me, that means posting every day. Um, And then obviously I take days off, but it's like the days I have patients, I have to post. But I don't have the luxury of waking up, having my coffee, making avocado toast and (laughs) taking a picture of it because I'm out the door at 7 a.m. and I'm seeing patients. And the minute I see a patient, my phone is off. So the balance has been really difficult, but I really love what I do. And I love to be able to have... I love the patients I work with. I love their families. And I do love the field of speech pathology. I think it's an incredible field. And I know for me, and I'll I'll kind of like finish this off with, with this overarching idea and like how these two really combine well together. My Instagram and my business is the biggest blessing I've ever had in my life the reason that I'm able to be as successful as I am not is not just my fierce personality. It's not just, you know, maybe my ability to take good photos. It's because I have the opportunity to have a voice and I can get up every single day and I can get on my stories and talk seamlessly without confidence issues, without anything. And I can get out what I want to get out into the world. I can express myself and I can express my opinions for me to be able to walk into a child's life day after day, to be able to get them to a place where they too have a voice, regardless of how they choose to use it in the future. I think that's the reason that I'm on this earth.
1: So I love that connection. I really do because I don't think I would have ever come to that conclusion myself. So I appreciate you doing that work and laying that layup out for me. And I think it's so admirable because there's something that goes, I think, for most of us, I think you're obviously very aware of it because of the speech pathology work that you do, but most of us take for granted the fact that we can comfortably just speak. And I know Absolutely. personally, I still struggle with my speech impediment daily um, when I talk, you know, I as I mentioned, it really comes out if I'm drunk and it, it's become this joke with my family and friends. And I'm very grateful that I don't really have any confidence issues over it. I slip all the time and I'm like, oh, whatever. Haha, it's my speech impediment. But that's because I have the confidence to not let it get to me. And I know how many people really, really struggle with a speech impediment, especially at an older age. At a younger age, it's like the bullying aspect. But then I think at an older age, it's a confidence issue.
0: A thousand percent. And I think that there is something to be said about certain speech issues don't go away. Um, Mm -hmm. And and like, this obviously gets into the science of speech pathology, but there are certain issues that never leave. And so where, where do you find that bridge between, like you said, having, being able to like fuck up and then say, oh, that's my speech impediment. And for me, it's like with my acne, right? Uh, It's one of the things I'm very insecure about. And I was just had a live on skin confidence yesterday, but it's one of those things where I just have to own up to, to my shit. But I'm such an extrovert. And I'm such a like, Oh, let's get vulnerable. And let's talk about all this bullshit going on in our lives. But I actually love doing that same It's building that confidence for those people who don't necessarily have it. And I hope that you know, working with zero to three year olds, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of giving them confidence, but it's I hope that I can give that to to people. And And I think that's where on Instagram, that's where I'm you know, most used and hopefully giving people confidence and Mm -hmm. making them confident in their own skin. Whereas with speech, it is very scientific working with such a young crowd.
1: Of course. And I think you do ignite confidence in your audience because you come off as someone, and I love this about you because I'm very much the same way. There's nothing I love more than vulnerability. And that's one of the goals on this podcast is like I lay all my shit out on the table, whether it's my relationship and stuff that I'm going through with Joe or like my childhood or family discussions, you know, whatever it is. As long as it's my shit to talk about, I will talk about it. Um, And I would love if we all just entered a room and like put our shit on the table and we're open to discussing it. I've come to the reality that not everyone enjoys that as much as I do, but I appreciate that you do. Um, but I am curious. Um, I'm a Virgo. Oh, love you. <laughs> I, it, I don't know a lot about horoscopes at all, but every time I tell anyone I'm a Virgo, they're like, you are such a Virgo. It You're makes such sense. A Virgo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot okay. of sense. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about your skin journey because. I know you're very open about it. And that is something that I think a lot of females struggle with. And again, similar to what we were talking about with speech impediments, I think it can be a hit to people's confidence. And it's obviously something that people are a little self-conscious about. So can you walk us through, I guess, your journey with your skin?
0: Yeah. So... (laughs) my journey with my skin is a long one. I, uh, I suffered from cystic acne. I, I genetically suffer from acne. Um, my dad mm-hmm. suffered from it terribly. And, a, a few of my aunts and uncles, um, still have like those ice pick scars, you know, and you yeah. see like, it looks like someone's ice picked. So when I was about 14 or 15, I started to develop acne and, uh, As a female, it's just the fucking worst. It's the fucking worst. And if you're a tomboy like I was and still am and you don't like wearing makeup, it's even more terrible because I always wanted to be one of those girls. Like I grew up in Southern California and I was like, I just want to be the girl that's like, has the perfect skin and wears the hair like Farrah Fawcett and goes to the beach and like (laughs) I was just like fucking pizza face and so I felt oh my god I need to put makeup on but I hate makeup and so I was just constantly in this place of like covering my face and you know talking to people like this or not going out when I turned 23 I don't even know now what age I was, but it was like 22 or 23. I had one of the worst cystic breakouts. I, it was the worst cystic breakout I've ever had. And it went on for about five months and I was in constant pain. Um, I called my parents. I was living in Portland. I called my parents every single night crying. And it just had a monumental effect on my life. Monumental. Mm-hmm. And I think those who have never suffered from acne, it is very difficult to understand the effect that it has on your life. Um, but it is, it's is—it's weird. It's weird. you It's all you think about. You start to get so down on yourself. Um, I'm sure anyone with body image issues can relate. It's very mm-hmm. similar. It just feels like you're completely out of control and you don't know how to amend the situation and you feel dirty, but you know you're clean and it sucks. Um, when I, my skin ended up clearing up, but when I came back to Instagram and I still suffer, I mean, like we're on video right now. I'm, I have, I'm going through a breakout right now. It's freaking Rona's. It's what I call him, but <laughs> ugh, kills me. But when I came back to Instagram, I realized, you know, as I would go through weeks of breaking out that it was a very isolating feeling. And one of the worst parts about breaking out and having uh, maybe genetically being genetically predisposed to acne is that you kind of feel like you're the only one. Yep. And that's the problem is that you show up to an event or you show up on a date or whatever. And you're like, this person's not going to like me because I have zits on my face or these people don't understand how insecure I feel. So I started talking about it one day and got all these messages with people like, oh my God, I didn't realize that somebody else felt this way. And then I started feeling the same way where I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize anybody else felt this yeah. way. And I kind of realized it was this an entire community for people who were promoting skin positivity. I think there's such a stigma in our society that having baby soft skin just makes you flawless. And Just like being the perfect size and, you know, perfect size jeans and being able to be perfectly thin makes you pretty. And what I've come to realize over time is that it has nothing to do with your beauty at all. No. At all.
1: And I I think it's so interesting because one of the, like, I think I have these like umbrella messages of my platforms so one is like to make healthy living approachable but the other one is to reassure everyone that no matter what emotion they are feeling they are not alone because I think loneliness is the most isolating and truly depressing emotion and I felt alone in many of my thoughts and I had a similar experience where I opened up about going on an antidepressant and all of a sudden Every single person I knew was like, oh, well, I'm on this one. And it was like this aha moment where once you go on medicine, you realize that everyone in your life is on medicine. And it was the same thing where I got so many DMs being like, thank you for talking about going on a a medicine that like, I've never, I've always felt like I have to hide the fact that I'm on a pill for this or Mm -hmm. be embarrassed by it. And it's something that, I mean, obviously not everyone is on a medication for this and not everyone has acne breakouts, but a lot of people do. And okay. the more we can talk about our shit, the more comforting it is for everyone. And we can all realize that these stories we're telling ourselves, because that's really all they are of like, I'm not pretty if I have acne or I'm broken if I have to take an antidepressant, right. they're not real. The stories are not real
0: it's a false reality and it's, it comes from feeling insecure. And I've talked about too, like I'm no pill shame because I Mm use fear and a lactone for my acne. And like, I'm a, I'm a freaking wellness blogger that uses 98% non-toxic everything. Okay. Everything. And I, and I am on pills because it works for me and I don't have this shame around it I don't think anybody should I posted about taking spironolactone got about 700 messages of other people who were taking it Who were like I've never told anybody and I'm like society has just created this stigma that it's like well if you have acne you're not pretty but now if you take pills you're broken and, and it's just like focus on yourself
1: but wait I it. actually don't know what that pill is is that for acne specifically
0: yeah. So it's a diuretic that essentially is an androgen blocker. So it helps you break down testosterone in your body. So a lot of women with hormonal acne do really, really good on spironolactone because it helps break down all the testosterone that your body cannot break down on its own. Um, Got it. and it totally changed my skin. It cleared me up massively. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, it's great. And it's not for everybody. Just like, you know, some people take Prozac and others take Lexapro. Mm-hmm. You just kind of have to figure out what works for you. And, um, some people don't believe in it and that's cool too, but I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of, of trying everything once and Me too. See what it, what it does because I've not noticed any uh, ramifications from taking mm-hmm. pills, but I do think, you know, there's the stigma needs to be broken around acne because now, I mean, I stopped wearing makeup on the weekdays like a year ago And now I could not be more confident in my skin. Like I walk out with like massive zits all over my face. And I'm like, well, this is the best you're going to fucking get. So either take (laughs) it or leave it. I have have nothing for you today. But I think once you start taking those small steps, like educating yourself and knowing that, you know, you are so much more than your physical appearance, that for me was big. I just had to start telling myself, like, I'm super funny people like my heart. Like I'm a kind person. People want to spend time with me because I'm, I'm a great, you know, I'm great conversationalist. And even though it might sound conceited to say all those good things about yourself, when you start saying those things, you realize that nobody likes you or dislikes you based off the state of your skin or the size of your body. That's not how you make friends.
1: I always say that like, if you think about your three or four or five, whatever closest friends, and you list your top 10 characteristics about them, would you ever say, oh, I love her because she fits in a size two, or I love her because she's got great boobs. Like those aren't reasons why we love people at all. At all. Like I,
0: I I mean, I know that's thought in my mind. I don't even look at I don't even see that anymore. I'm just like you who are who you are, everything that you are is what makes you beautiful. But that, you know, it comes from a long a long It's time. a journey. It's a journey.
1: It's a definite journey. Um and I am curious because people who are listening, I know your audience you talk about your skin a lot, so maybe there are people going through similar journeys. I have been very blessed and fortunate to have good skin. I recently have had a few cystic um not outbreaks but like a cystic pimple every once in a while with a period yeah like on my chin okay. mm-hmm. um and I'm now noticing how freaking painful they are so I'm curious but also I'm sure listeners are do you have I know you mentioned your medication but are there other things that you have found to like assist in any way
0: yeah so um i Really great tool that my friend recommended to me that I love. If you have really painful cystic acne, you can buy an ice roller on Amazon for about $11. Keep it in your freezer, roll it on your face, and it totally depuffs and deswells swells and allows so much. Um, it just allows for that pain to be released for a little mm-hmm. bit. So, just like ice or just icing your face if you're dealing with painful acne. And then for me, it's really about the products I'm using. It's And it's not about, I mean, it's about the makeup products because I'm like fully non-toxic in my makeup routine. Same, But it's about the skincare products you're using and really feeling good about them, regardless of what they are, feeling good about them and walking out of your house or out of your room, I guess for us right now, mm-hmm. and feeling like your face is protected. Um, and just knowing that everything you put on, like I know for me, when I wake up, My favorite thing to do is have my skincare routine because no matter if I'm breaking out, I know the things I'm using are only working for me, not against me. Um, And so I would say just really coming up with a good routine and that's just, you know, it's a matter of trial and error and it's a matter of knowing your skin. And I think knowing your skin comes from like, for me, I had to go to an esthetician and find out, okay, Mm -hmm. like my skin is dehydrated. Here are the few products I'm going to try. And you can always get samples from like Sephora and that kind of thing. Um, but I, I started with non-toxic and I just went to people I trusted and looked at their skincare routines and just tried the things that they were using. And that's kind of how I curated a really nice routine.
1: Same with me. I'm like, yeah. uh, excuse me. You look like, you know what you're doing. Can, cause I grew up, I'm like not a product person. Yeah. I only wear makeup if like I'm going out, like out out on the town, (laughs) on the town to the club, which never happens
0: anymore. We're taking grandmas.
1: I haven't clubbed in so long, especially right now. But you know, that's really what it takes for me. I used to joke, I would only wear makeup to prom. Like I didn't wear anything in high school. And I just never was it's honestly, it's not from like a confidence or whatever thing. Yes, obviously, I was blessed with good skin, but I just don't have interest in it. And some people are really like my younger sister is really interested in makeup and products and she's got a bazillion different things. Right. Um, and she feels that way about those things that I do about food. And that's just where I was going to say, yeah,
0: for us, it's like food and it's finding new snacks and I have the products. So I, but I want to know what's your favorite, like what's the one skincare product you couldn't live without?
1: Right now, okay, so I just got a ton of new things. I saw. I watched her. So I've got a few. Oh, God, this is really hard. Typically, I buy everything from Folane because okay, I, I trust that. everything they do. My favorite product from there is probably this Indie Lee cleanser that honestly tastes like strawberry. Well, not taste. It smells like strawberries because it's made. I it on my pancake. <laughs> yeah. It's so tasty, um, but right now I just got a few things from Lark Skincare, which I know Sammy loves and you love yeah, as well. I love. Um, them. And I have this serum that I'm loving because it makes my gua sha in the morning like feel so smooth and wonderful. Good for you for doing gua sha in the morning, Jesus. I'm like, oh, I do it while I'm like listening to podcasts or on the phone with someone. I notice a huge difference.
0: I need to start gua sha-ing. I think gua will help me right now because I like, I mean, talking about confidence, this has been the craziest time for body image. This yeah. Morning, can we
1: talk about that? Because are you I'm alone?
0: I can talk about it, bitch. I'm alone. Yeah.
1: yeah. Wait, and I also want to bookmark a topic while we were talking about like destigmatizing things. I want to talk a little bit about marijuana at some point.
0: Oh, yeah. I would absolutely love to talk about that. I get so many questions about weed.
1: Um <laughs> Should we go there? Should we go quarantine first? We can go, well, we can talk about
0: that and then I'll tell you about my smoking during quarantine. Yeah. Um, Same. can lead into it. Yeah. All the weed I need to keep me calm. Um, Yeah. I feel like I'm living in a constant metaphorical room of mirrors. Like I'm Mm -hmm. just walking around and looking at myself all goddamn day. And I'm like, bitch. Fuck. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's been insane. Like I've recognized so many, I think you said this at the beginning of the podcast, but I've recognized so many insecurities and tendencies and patterns that I have mm-hmm. that are, that affect my relationships and affect the way that I am towards myself and, and, and am towards other people. But also I am massively into my routine. I am massively into whatever workout I'm doing at the time. I was in like a fucking hot yoga flow.
1: Before yeah. And I was started. just thinking about that. That's like the one exercise. I mean, there are a lot of things that we can't do. Like you can't really box, you can't whatever, but hot yoga, you really can't re- replicate.
0: And that was my saving grace. When they, my mm-hmm. studio closed before government mandated everything closed. And I was like, I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't believe in the coronavirus, but I was just like, I don't understand what's going on. Cause I don't really watch the news. I got an email on a Thursday night. I was like planning on waking up, going to yoga. I got an email. I was like, our studio is closed, and I was like, "This is fucked up. This is bullshit." <laughs> I am. I, I called my mom. I was like, "And they had the audacity to close the yoga they studio." They closed. No, they did not close. The, I'm like, "Yes, bitch." They closed the yoga studio, and then, of course, three days later, I mean, the entire world is shut down. And I'm grateful that they had, you know, the the wherewithal to close at the right time. But I have not been able to work out the way that I like to work out. And Mm -hmm. I'm also, I was going through this transition of, I went through a very um, severe breakup last fall. I was very into Orange Theory, was like big Orange Theory girl, went six times a week, Mm -hmm. um, got really, really fit and was doing Pilates and just like was rocking body. And then I went through a breakup and was like three months of nothing, nothing. I was so not even depressed. I was just like coming back from this emotional turmoil that I had just of been course. Through. And so finally I, back in January, I was like getting back into working out and the yoga was there for me and mm-hmm. I was feeling so good. And for me over time, right. It's about, it's become about feeling good, not looking good. And my body image issues have almost nearly like fully disappeared in my life at this point through a lot of work. And then the quarantine happens and then I'm, I've, I'm not working out and I'm like, well, it's fine. I'm not working out. You know, I've been through this before and I've done the journey. And so Mm -hmm. I'm confident in my body. And I, the other day, all these people were talking about like, my jeans don't fit. And I'm like, oh, "Oh, like, okay. I, I bet. But like, I haven't put any on. So I'm like, mine probably fit, but like, whatever. So then I go to put jeans on two nights ago. And I broke down. I felt like I was having a body image issue that I had solved. And that was the first time in this quarantine where I had to sit up and remind myself that healing is not linear. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm always talking about the fact that healing isn't linear, whether it's with your skincare, body image, breaking up, whatever it is. But that was the first time during this situation where I was like, you might be struggling again and that's okay um i was on a zoom with a friend the other day and like was feeling fat on zoom and Mm -hmm. literally was like stressed the entire time on zoom looking at myself and changed my outfit four times on the zoom so i would feel like thin on the zoom and i was like what the fuck is happening
1: right now this is insane I think it's really interesting because I think with everything that's, first of all, everything that's going on in the world is frightening. And so there is an underlying level of anxiety and like doom in a sense. And then I think with being forced to not have access to everything that you're used to having access to within your routine, and then you especially are by yourself. And so you're really with your own thoughts and I was just having this conversation on a group call yesterday. I think it was where I do think all of this is forcing us to really sit with our shit. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, causing a lot of behaviors that we think we may have evolved from to maybe stir back up. And I talked about this a little bit on my Instagram one day where I was like, I'm grateful for a lot of shit right now. I'm grateful that I'm healthy. I'm grateful that I have the finances to have access to food. I'm grateful to be with my family, you know, all of those things. But most importantly, I'm grateful that I'm reminding myself that I still have personal work to do. And mine isn't necessarily... I think we're, we all have separate triggers and I've definitely dealt with body image issues, and, you know, obsessive food and exercise thoughts. And I think right now, especially those who have struggled with or are struggling with eating disorders, this is an incredibly triggering time and same with body image for me it's almost like forcing me into this like really big bitch. And I know I joked about this before we started recording, but I become like my worst self sometimes when I'm with my family for too long. I revert back to my like 16 year old brat psycho. And I'm saying these horrendously awful things. I'm so quick triggered. I'm snapping at people. I'm like, saying things without even thinking or doing things without even thinking. And then a second later, I'm like, who the fuck is this girl? This is not me. And I had a very serious conversation with my family last night where I was like, I do not like my behavior recently. I do not like the shit that I'm being forced to sit with. And I want to readdress this. And I also think for me, it's triggering a lot of my like work obsession where it's really easy for me to just become addicted to my work and refuse to shut off. Yeah, Virgo, so Virgo. Like refuse to shut off. Like right now I'm in Florida. My parents have a pool in the backyard. So obviously I can safely sit by the pool all day. I have for some reason set boundaries on myself where I'm only allowed to sit by the pool on Saturday and a few hours on Sunday because otherwise I need to be working. And it's been really interesting because I'm like with people Right now, for instance, my sister who has a corporate job. And I think a lot of it is from me feeling like I have to prove that my job is a real job. I don't know if you ever feel that way.
0: All day, girl.
1: Yeah. And so I'm sitting with my sister and like one day during the week, she's just like laying watching Vampire Diaries all day. And I'm like, wait a second. You have a real job. Why are you able to do this? And I'm talking to all my friends and some of them are like, yeah, right now we're just not busy. Right. There And it's making me realize how hard I am on myself and how I create these restrictions for no real reason. Mm-hmm. But needless to say, I think this entire thing is causing us and forcing us in a weirdly beautiful way to reassess things that we thought we may have moved on from. Yes. Um, And I think that behavior is different for everyone. But I think personally for me, what I found comforting is to really sit with it and acknowledge it instead of like letting it just pass me. I'm really accepting it, being aware of it and then assessing, okay, what's, what are these triggers and how can I evaluate a different way to react moving forward? Cause that's all we can do.
0: For sure. And I would say too, like in, in what you're saying, uh, productivity shame is massive right now. So the shame for yeah. not being as productive as we usually are. And I think it goes into body image shame, productivity shame, um, exercise shame, right? I'm getting outside, right? There's a lot of people that I know that are like, oh, I feel so grateful to live in California and I'm experiencing this quarantine in a sunny place, but I just didn't want to go outside today. And I feel bad for that, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I love everything you said and how you choose to handle it. The way that I do it, and I've, I talk about this a lot on my Instagram, and uh, it's you know, part of my spirituality studies, but um, as, as someone who, who follows and studies Buddhism, it's about sitting in the shit a 1,000%. It's about sitting in the chaos, allowing it to run over you, and then mm-hmm. having enough grace and compassion for yourself to let it move freely through you. Yep. And I think that's the, that's the, for me, everything, everything is different for everyone. For me, it was about sitting in the mirror when I had those jeans halfway at my thighs and just looking at myself and being like, okay, I'm going to give myself grace for feeling the way I feel. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be compassionate towards myself, not only for feeling this way, but for the fact that right now I don't have access to the things I would normally have access to. I'm going to give myself compassion for feeling the way I feel on this, you know, whatever zoom call I'm on, but also being compassionate towards the fact that I need comfort food right now because I am totally, and we are anxious. And guess what helps noodles noodles (laughs) help that like fuck. So I do think, and lastly, to your point, a lot comes up during this time, especially being alone. I am alone with my own thoughts and I don't have many distractions besides calling friends and FaceTiming them, which most of my friends are very vulnerable. So most of my friends by 20 minutes into the conversation, I'm actually more into my thoughts than I would be if I were alone. Right. Um, But it's a really interesting time. And I think if you can, if you can be smart about the way that you, handle the thoughts that arise during this time if you can compartmentalize them if you can say okay i'm only going to give this thought as much time as it and energy as it deserves mm-hmm. and then move on you're going to be a lot better off and that's what i've had to train myself to do I, I think it's you know it goes into my meditation practice too when i'm trying to meditate and something comes up rather than being like oh well i thought I was over this i thought this wasn't going to come up right now i'm so angry it's there sis let it be there don't fight it. The more you fight, the longer it's going to stay. Right. Yeah. So it's like running towards that fear and being like, you know what? Thought, I appreciate you for being here. Thank you for coming. I'll allow you to stay for a little while. Let's have a, you know, let's have a cup of fucking marijuana tea and then you're (laughs) out, you know, and then I'm on to the next man.
1: My meditation coach, I practice a mantra-based meditation, and she used the analogy that your mantra is the guest of honor, your brain is a party, and these other thoughts are other guests. So if another guest showed up at a party, you wouldn't just slam the door on it and say, no, only the guest of honor is allowed in. You'd open the door, you'd welcome the thought or the person, and then eventually you'd be cordial, you'd say, hello, how are you? And then you'd make your way to focusing back on the guest of honor. And for me, exactly. that just made it so clear, that analogy.
0: I love that analogy.
1: Me too. Now let's talk weed. Let's do it. Do you smoke? Yes. Um, yeah. So I, it, I've i had an interesting relationship with weed, I guess. I In know. high school, I never was one that was like, I, had, I smoked a few times, but I had a really bad like anxiety reaction kind of to one. And I was just like, yeah, not for me, whatever. And then in college, we for I played lacrosse in college and okay. we had the rule that you weren't allowed to smoke. And I am such a rule follower and enforcer okay. that I was very much like, no, I'm not going to. And I feel like I was kind of made into looking like a little bit of a goody two-shoe around it. Like I hated the fact that some of my teammates would like – still be smoking and then act like I was like a fucking like like police officer yeah you were and like oh god it made me so angry I'm still bitter over it clearly um but then when I graduated I was like okay rules are over whatever and so much so that it was honestly like edibles were one of the only things that were helping with my post-concussion headaches and so I got my medical marijuana license because we're not as wonderful as California where it's legal for everyone so now I feel I was kind of hesitant talking about I'm foodie because you never know the audience. And I expect my one thing is like, what if there's a young girl following me? Yeah. But well, I'm now that I'm a
0: psychologist.
1: Oh, true. Like, yeah. But now that I'm legally doing it, I don't care. And it's not like my parents don't know. They're well aware of it all.
0: For sure. So I have not a similar. I'm a rule follower as well. In high school, I was, like, hashtag fucking so- sober. Like, yeah. I was, like, I'm not going to drink. And I, and I didn't really drink until I was 20. And I was, like, I will never put a drug in my goddamn body. Like, I was a singer, and I couldn't imagine doing it. I had a very, very bad first experience with weed. Um, I got really paranoid in the same type of situation. Mm-hmm. And then I was – I went to community college before going to Berkeley. When I went to community college, I made – some friends on my speech and debate team who had just kind of been around the block. They were older than me and I trusted them. And they were like, we're going to, we're going to try, you know, you're going to try weed again and we'll see how you like it. Well, well, after that moment, things were the rest changed. is history. The rest is history. I was like, <laughs> total stoner would sit in my room with a bong listening to Amy Winehouse just and I was living with my dad in a one bedroom apartment like just (laughs) lighting the fuck up and it was so weird he was like oh my god why is this why am I allowing this but Mm -hmm. then I went to college and I actually was like the sorority drug dealer in college for a time so I wait
1: what sorority were you in a sorority
0: I wasn't a sorority which one I'm a kappa
1: same. Shut up. Adelphi. Sister of the key. Sister. Oh God, Adelphi. Shut up, sister. Where'd you go to college? Lafayette in Pennsylvania. Oh, my God. Oh, gosh. my God. I would slip you the grip. but I would slip the grip. Virtually.
0: Um, yeah. Oh, my God. This is so funny. So, yeah, I was a kappa and I would buy weed from guys and I would sell it to the sorority girls because I think a lot of girls were stressed like going to a frat and buying weed from assholes.
1: I literally still do that with my girlfriend. I'm like I don't want to deal with a drug dealer so can you yeah. buy it and then I'll just buy it from you.
0: Yeah and then I had some pretty sketchy drug dealers over the time. This was all before it was legal and then what happened was uh, I stopped drinking after college because I had a drinking... Well, I had a college drinking problem. I would say that mm-hmm. that's what it was, um, and it made me very depressed. So I stopped drinking. And do you drink now? Yeah, I drink now. Okay, I drink now. But I was sober for about almost two years, Wild and good then year. slowly, slowly got back into drinking. And now I really only, I really only do it when I'm with other people. Like sometimes I have a glass of wine, but I'm just, I don't really love drinking, but I love mm-hmm. smoking. So. Yeah. And and my journey as with smoking has changed a lot over the last couple of years. So I smoked a lot in the last relationship I was in. Um, we just both really enjoyed we enjoyed marijuana, and that was great for us. And then I kind of realized as I was starting Olive Eats and this business, we I'm not a productive high. I'm Neither not <laughs> the type of person that like gets high and is like now I'm gonna work. I'm like no, I'm gonna make pizza and I'm gonna sit on my ass. And so. Yep. I realized that for me, smoking during the day is not really something that is doable unless it's a weekday and I have literally nothing to do, but I still get anxiety when I smoke during the day. So now my like smoking, I would say my smoking, you know, the way that I am is like, I smoke about five to seven nights a week. I Mm -hmm. use Dosis. I love my Dosis pen. I also love Lowell Farms. Like, I'm only using fucking organic weed now, of course. Like I'm Right, just, of like, course. It's right, so
1: comical. Well, that's like when I went to MedMed Med in Venice. I'm like, is this what the world is? Is this oh what God. we're coming to? I love it. I know. And we have a MedMed Med on Fifth Avenue now, but it's okay. medically. So it's not the same. I thought it was going to be the same. Very different. But yeah. still, just that that's where we're moving. I'm totally here for it.
0: I'm so here for it. And I think that if you do it in a smart way, you know, I do it before I go to bed. I'm, mm-hmm. I take doses that I are, um, right for me where I don't get paranoid. I'm just very smart about it. And then, you know, there's days where I'm like, fuck it. Let's pop an edible. It's chill. And for me, that's yep. more fun than getting drunk. And I, and I mean, it's just who I am. I think weed has, uh, drastically, drastically changed my life for the better. It's, absolutely medicinal if you treat it medicinally and I do believe I totally you agree. Can have an addiction. I believe you can be addicted to weed. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about stepping back and about taking the time to say, why am I smoking? When am I smoking? How much am I smoking? And for me, I realized that why I'm smoking is to either have a deeper sleep or to have just a really nice, fun, enjoyable, less anxious uh, time and activity when am I smoking in the evening when it's not light outside and does it bring me joy and does it make me happy? And fuck yeah,
1: it does. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am with you on all of that. Um I also meant to ask this earlier when we were talking about your fierceness and all of that wonderful stuff. What is your favorite characteristic about yourself?
0: Um, I feel like I named so many already. I was. Already- I know. I know. I should have asked as that fucking I've question. Been on this, well, I know. <laughs> but as I've been on this podcast, so I'm like, I actually seem so conceited. I'm not. I'm not. No, you don't. Podcast. Yes. No, um, you don't.
1: Please, I, I love gassing people up, and I'm here for people also gassing themselves up.
0: Like gassing themselves up. Well, I would say my favorite characteristic about myself is. It's a, really, it's a toss-up, um, but I, I think you brought it up in the beginning. I, I really love how unique I am. I really, I just love the fact that I don't give a shit about, I don't give a shit about what anyone thinks. I give a, sh- a really big shit about other people. I love my friends. I give major shits about my friends, but I really love the fact that I get to live my life in this unique state and, and own it. So I think that's, today, that's, that's what I like most about myself.
1: Okay, I'm glad you enjoyed that comment because I know unique can be taken two separate ways and I meant it in that wonderful um, way.
0: No, bitch. I get literally so many friends who are like, I love how unapologetically like yourself you are. And I'm like, that's a fucking insult, but whatever. <laughs> like, please, come on. <laughs> Don't use unapologetic. Oh,
1: true. Um, and then to close, although I feel like I could talk to you for literally another hour, what are your three favorite ways or what are the three ways to your heart through food? So it can be as generic or specific as you would like.
0: Okay. So the, if you follow me, you know that for me, like music is my life. Um, and so to, through food, I was just making homemade pasta the other day and I was listening. I saw
1: to that. I'm Sinatra. so impressed.
0: Oh my God. I feel so amazing now that I'm doing it. It's really, it's really incredible. Um, I like it way better than baking too. I think I'm a cook. Not a baker. I'm not a baker. Mm, Too many, like, too scientific. It's science. Um, So for me, it's about, like, matching the mood through food. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, pasta and Italian music or pasta and, like, Frank Sinatra. Um, Mexican food and, like, you know, and some music that goes along with it. To match a mood with whatever food we're creating is, like, to create a vibe is
1: totally. I love that. I feel that way about alcohol. Like each okay. meal I'm eating, alcohol is an extension of the menu because I, I I drink because I actually enjoy alcohol. I don't drink to get drunk. And so right. for me, it's like if I'm having a burger and fries, I want a like very cold, crisp IPA. Or if I'm having pasta, I need a good glass of red wine and like a crisp white with seafood. Like that's how I think about it in that sense.
0: I love that. So um, also you need to try my new favorite
1: beer is Libertine from uh, Slow. I've never heard of that. Oh my God, you're going to die. Do you like sours? So my little sister likes them. I'm also gluten-free, so I have to figure out like certain beers. It's honestly the hardest thing about being gluten-free, but my little sister loves sours. So I'll tell her.
0: Yeah, tell her. Um, Okay, so that's the first one is matching the vibe. I'm all about the vibe. The second one, um, the weight of my heart, you know, I'm going to be honest about this. Really, the weight of my heart is just good nourishing ingredients. I was talking to mm-hmm. a friend about this yesterday. You could put in front of me, like, um, you know, rice, sausage, veggies, whatever it is, a simple meal. If I feel... Um, good about the sources of where that food is coming from. If I know that my meat is being sustainably treated, if I know that it's, it's ethically made, um, especially uh, I love shopping small. So I really love to buy pasta and rice and all of these things from smaller companies that are doing small batch made um, foods and like organic veggies, which I'm very grateful to be able to afford organic. Yeah. Um, that is a way to my heart as well. Just being able to, to support what I can afford. I don't buy all organic, but Mm -hmm. if I can afford to support small farmers and local businesses, that is massive
1: to me. I Um, totally agree. It just feels nourishing, right? Yeah. There's such a difference, a huge difference.
0: Yeah. And then the third is a big, like there is nothing I love more. There's nothing I love more than a slice of cake. And if I have, like, a big bowl of weed next to me and, like, carrot cake or coconut cake. Oh, man, I love carrot cake. cake. Carrot cake with cream cheese frosting. Fuck the best.
1: I um, made a, like, kind of pseudo carrot cake for my mom's birthday last week. And it was so fucking good. Did you post the recipe? I did. I used the Simple Mills vanilla cake mix. I have heard you can do that and then add carrots. And then I added in carrots, dried pineapple, and dates because my little sister hates raisins and walnuts and then I did cashew cream cheese frosting it was I'm done heaven I'm done heaven I'm making that but I'm you should but I'm kind of surprised that one of yours isn't like your morning coffee well I guess see
0: I mean I didn't (laughs) I didn't even think of that okay I will say that, I would say that goes along with the first one, having like the, f- the food and the vibe, right? Because okay. every morning is my coffee with my music. But mm-hmm. I literally don't even think of coffee in that realm. For right, because it's just a standard it, for you. Coffee is not even, I don't even, I don't even think of it as food. I think of coffee as like blood.
1: How many um, cups of coffee do you have a day?
0: Oh, one, just one. Okay. Yeah. And I sip on it very, very lightly because it gives me anxiety if I have too much. But I make sure that cup of coffee, that eight ounces is the fucking best cup of coffee I will ever
1: it have. It has to be. Yeah. Sit. I feel like I answered these wrong now. No, yeah. you didn't at Can all. Oh, course. my God. You coffee? didn't. But I was just waiting for you to say coffee. I
0: know. I guess. But I think the first one really is it's about creating the vibe with the food. And so whether I that's coffee, breakfast, lunch, dinner, it's, it's the mood.
1: It fits That's in there. The don't you worry. The mood food. food, mood. Um, Well, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for popping my Zoom recording, Cherry. Of course. And where can everyone listening, the best place to follow you is on Instagram.
0: Best place to follow me is on Instagram at oliveeats, O-L-I-V-E dot E-E-E-A-T-S.
1: Three <laughs> you eats. had to make it hard.
0: I had to make it impossible. It'll be in the show notes. Uh, it'll be in the show notes. And then my website will be launching soon. New website. Cool. I know a bunch of blogs, my recipes, all the clothes I wear, everything that'll be out in the next two months. So that's really
1: exciting. Amazing.
0: And I appreciate being here because I look up to you and this is like, Oh my
1: God. Thank you.
0: This is like the most exciting part of my week. So,
1: wow. I feel like I'm going to cry. Thank you so much.
0: Let's just sob it out, sister.
1: Yeah, for real. All right. Well, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Thanks girl. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I thoroughly hope you enjoyed it. If you could be so kind, I would greatly appreciate a rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. Currently, this one's available on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please subscribe to make sure you're up to date with new episodes coming at you every Friday morning. If once a week isn't enough of me, please follow along on my most active social channel, Instagram. Find me, my unedited videos, recipes, random rants and info for all my other social channels on there at Freckled Foodie.